please turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I also want to thank each one of you for practicing the ministry of showing up here today on this, uh, this cold day. You have blessed me and blessed the saints with your presence. Each year in January, it is our normal practice to take uh, one Sunday to address matters of racial justice and ethnic harmony, that is today, and then we take another Sunday to address the topic of the unborn and the sanctity of human life, and that will be next week, next Sunday. Uh, the reason that we regularly address this topic of race and ethnicity is first because God's word has a lot to say about ethnicity, second because we rejoice that God has made us a diverse church with so many ethnicities among us as a fruit of the gospel and its power. And third, and you may have not thought about it in this way before, but the reason that we give attention to this is because God's call to his people in the realm of ethnic harmony is so much higher than the avoidance of racism. Uh, the goal of not being a racist or the goal of not being a white supremacist is like a really low bar so far as life goals are concerned. God calls us to something higher. He calls us to understand the substantial biblical teaching on ethnicity from Genesis to Revelation. He calls us to love, to learn, to lament across ethnic lines. He calls us, here you go, he calls us to talk about race and ethnicity in ways that are humble and gracious and kind. He calls us to discern the presence of ethnic sins, including pride and injustice, favoritism, oppression, neglect. He calls us to reflect his heart and his passion for Christ-exalting ethnic diversity in the church, and he calls us to the pursuit of ethnic harmony and love across ethnic lines, to carry the message of the gospel to others. And so we should view this area, when it comes to our, our instinct and how we think about ethnicity, race, and these matters, we should view this area of the pursuit of ethnic harmony, love across ethnic lines, the same way we view any area of Christian discipleship in the Christian life, and that is that we are pressing on to grow, recognizing that we have not yet been made perfect. Our title today is The Barrier-Breaking Power of the Gospel, and I want to consider together what the book of Acts contributes to this glorious theme of the breaking down of ethnic barriers through the power of the gospel. Acts chapter 1, we will begin in verse 8. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, and this is God's holy, holy and authoritative word. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things 
as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God bless the preaching of his word. What we have here in Acts chapter 1, this is following the death and resurrection of Christ and prior to his ascension, the parting words of Jesus to his followers is a promise. He says in verse 8 that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. His followers will participate in a mission that intentionally and proactively extends beyond ethnic, cultural, and tribal barriers. They will receive power from the Holy Spirit for this express purpose to witness to their own nation and to other ethnic groups and to all the nations or ethnicities of the world. Through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is fulfilling the promise he gave to Abraham back in Genesis 12, the promise of a global, multi-ethnic people united by the gospel. And in the book of Acts, Gloriously, the power of the gospel tears down long-standing ethnic barriers. Churches are planted in the book of Acts and multi-ethnic churches are the norm. This ethnic unity in the early church that we see in the book of Acts stands in stark contrast to the surrounding world and is a testimony to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, it has, it has too often been the case, uh, historically and presently, that it is not ethnic harmony, but ethnic division and ethnic separation that exists in the church of Jesus Christ. H.B. Uh, Charles says this, he says, during a Meet the Press interview in 1960, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. lamented that 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour in Christian America. And H.B. Charles says, more than 60 years later, that sad indictment remains true. Indeed, that sad indictment has been true for hundreds of years, often damaging the credibility of the church and hindering the advance of the gospel. But what I hope we understand is that it also presents one of the greatest opportunities for the church of Christ today. And in fact, H.B. Charles goes on to explain that he has sought to take steps to address racial segregation in the church. His story is remarkable. His story is inspiring. Some of you may know it. He says, in 2014, our church in Jacksonville, Florida, merged with another congregation in our city a more than 100-year-old predominantly black congregation married a more than 100-year-old predominantly white congregation. 
As this merger took place, racial strife consumed our city and country. The news of our work was considered a light in dark times. We started fast, and by God's grace, we are still going strong. And H.B. Charles then encourages pastors and churches to take steps toward racial harmony, uh, toward what he calls worshiping beyond color lines. And he adds this, this sentence stood out to me. He says, it will not be easy, but it will be worth it. It will not be easy, but it will be worth it. That has been my experience of engaging this area, of leading this area, of preaching in this area over the years. It will not be easy, but it will be worth it. And I want to share with you one particular reason in our day why giving attention to this matter is, is decidedly not easy. And I hope that you have ears to hear and receive this. I am confident that you do. Here's the situation, what a number of, of Christians and Christian leaders today have done is to take any talk of race and racism, to take any talk of ethnicity and ethnocentrism, to take any talk of diversity and justice, they take all of that and it has been placed under a heading they label woke. Uh, to use that label pejoratively I believe is unfortunate and unhelpful given the history and the origins of that term but they place all of these things under that label and then there are those who say to talk about these things means that you are unhelpfully and dangerously woke uh, you have you have capitulated to culture you have abandoned scripture and now here is the here's the result of that mistake it is, it is nothing less than absolutely tragic. The result, and I would say that you cannot understand the situation that the church of Christ is in today apart from this. The result is that many Christians think they are resisting secularism. They think they are resisting wokeness when in fact they are resisting the teaching of scripture and the heart of God for ethnic unity. It's not a good situation. And we as a church need to do better. We need to, to rise above it. And so we are, we are here to say, seeing and lamenting great racial sins and injustices in our nation's history does not mean you've abandoned scripture. Being aware of the ongoing social and relational and ecclesiastical impact in the church of Christ today of those sins. Being aware of the ongoing stain of racism does not mean you have abandoned scripture. Believing that we should be aware of people's color as part of their ethnicity and experience rather than being colorblind does not mean you have abandoned scripture. Wanting to intentionally build friendships across ethnic lines and wanting to enjoy diverse cultures does not mean you have abandoned scriptures. Here's one, knowing and appreciating that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a Middle Eastern Jew and not a white American with flowing hair and blue eyes does not mean you have abandoned scripture. And perhaps most importantly, longing with all your heart for 
Christ-exalting ethnic unity and harmony in the church and desiring greater diversity in the church of Christ today does not mean you have abandoned scripture. In fact, it means the exact opposite. When it, when it comes to ethnic harmony, and this is where I think there's a disconnect with scripture, many are the indifferent, many are the silent, many are the cautious, few are the passionate. And our problem is that too many Christians have made culture our starting point. We've been so influenced by the way that our culture thinks rather than making scripture our starting point, rather than, than beginning with Christ and his gospel. Jesus came into the world as the great barrier breaker. He came into a world in which nations and ethnicities in every century have been alienated by sin. And he came to give us peace with God, to tear down the dividing wall that our hostility toward God and his holiness in response to our sin had made. He came as the peacemaker there and he came to give us peace with one another. At his birth, wise men from Asia worshipped him. As a toddler, he and his family spent time in Africa. His first sermon in the synagogue, Luke chapter 4, was about ethnic integration and it nearly got him killed. He reminded them that God sent Elijah to a Gentile, blessing a foreigner, and that God cleansed Naaman the Syrian. They hated that sermon. They, they wanted to kill him for it. He tells parables with Samaritans as heroes. He drove money changers from the temple and said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all ethnicities, for all nations. And when it came time for him to die upon that old rugged cross, an African named Simon of Cyrene carried his cross and a Roman centurion said, truly this man is the son of God. And so it's no surprise that this glorious savior, before he ascends to heaven's throne, he commands his people to make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28 and here in Acts chapter 1. And what do we see in the book of Acts? We see the unfolding of God's plan for a multi-ethnic church in Christ. What do we see in the book of Acts? We see the barrier-breaking power of the gospel. We see the promise of Christ fulfilled in local churches. Our Savior died in the place of sinners bearing the wrath that we deserve. He rose from the dead on the third day, triumphing in victory over sin and death. And he did this so that people of every tribe and nation who place their faith in Christ alone would receive the free gift of salvation and would be united around the praise of his glorious grace. This gospel, Jesus promised, would spread through all the world. And it is the gospel, brothers and sisters, that has come to us this day. The very next chapter in Acts chapter 2, the nations are gathered in Jerusalem. Chapter 2, verse 5, Jews from every nation under heaven. It was likely Sunday, May 24th, 33 AD. And there in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, there were over a dozen different ethnic groups identified by name who heard the gospel proclaimed in their own language. It's, it's the reversal of Babel. 
demonstrating that this message of salvation in Christ transcends national, ethnic, and linguistic barriers. And then in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, there is, in the church in Jerusalem, there is an an ethnic dispute that begins to emerge in the church between Hellenistic Jews and native Hebrews. H.B. Charles, commenting on that passage, says that as you read the book of Acts, you will find the early church experienced the same challenges we do, including ethnic disharmony and the need for racial reconciliation. And he is absolutely right. And the handling of that situation in Acts chapter 6 reveals the, the, the wisdom, the ethnic sensitivity of the leadership that is there. It's especially noteworthy that that situation of serving the, the tables uh, was one in which leaders of a particular culture or ethnicity were desirable for a particular leadership role and task. Uh, then on to Acts chapter 8 is when Philip takes the gospel to Samaria and if you read the Gospels with an eye to the hostility that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans, it puts all of the teaching of Jesus in such a different light and puts his promise here that you will be my witnesses. not just a geographical statement in Acts 1. It is a statement regarding ethnicities. The Gospel is going to Samaria. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. Chapter 8, Philip takes the gospel to Samaria, overcoming a massive ethnic dividing line. Daniel Hayes, in his outstanding book, From Every People and Nation, A Biblical Theology of Race, author Daniel Hayes says that the relationship between Jews and Samaritans was every bit as rigid and hostile in, as the current boundary between blacks and whites in the most racist areas of the U.S., that's historically what you're looking at in the New Testament. And so Philip's work, he says, is profound because he put aside generations, not just a few years, but generations of ethnic prejudice and hostility. There's so much that can be said about ethnicity in Acts. It's also in Acts chapter 8 that a black African, the Ethiopian eunuch, is saved baptized and returns home, countering the lie that Christianity only came to black Africa from European slavery and oppression, countering the lie that Christianity is only a white man's religion. And then on to Acts 10 and 11, Peter, Peter who's, who's an ethnic and cultural Jew, began to reach out to Gentiles. But as he did so, he fell back into ethnic favoritism and Paul, the Apostle Paul, rebuked him for this very thing in Galatians chapter 2. Peter was not in step with the gospel because the gospel compels us to shun ethnic superiority and to intentionally cross ethnic lines with the love of Christ. Peter's Ethnic sins are not uncommon today. Who of us is without sin? And yet we, as we confess our sin, we praise God for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that is greater than all of our sins. Therefore, we approach this topic not driven by guilt, but driven by the grace of God and the cleansing 
of his blood that is available for the forgiveness of all of our sins, including Peter's ethnic-based sins and our own. In Acts 13, the beginning of that chapter, in, in verse 1, Luke calls attention to the presence of inter-ethnic harmony and diversity in leadership in the church in Antioch. This is remarkable. You study the history, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, and the city was plagued with ethnic tensions. Uh, sociologist Rodney Stark says that Antioch was, quote, a city filled with hatred and fear rooted in intense ethnic antagonisms. That's what Antioch was, a city filled with hatred and fear rooted in intense ethnic antagonisms. And what does the gospel do in a city like that? It is in that very place that the multi-ethnic Antioch church is born. And it is significant to God. It is significant in Luke's telling of the story that the leaders at the beginning of Acts chapter 13 represented various ethnic groups. He's showing the beauty and the desirability of a church that transcends racial, cultural, and social barriers. One of the, one of the most significant indicators of acceptance of another culture is the presence of multi-ethnic leadership. And that's part of what we see in the beginning of Acts 13. And then in chapter 13 and following, and we're just cruising along through Acts here, we see the gospel spreading to the nations. These are the missionary trips that Paul and Barnabas took. And we see how the early church dealt with the integration of radically different cultures. You see it not only in Jerusalem, we talked about the, the, the ethnic challenges, the, the, the need for the intentional pursuit of ethnic harmony there, and in Antioch, but you also see it in Rome, and in Ephesus, and in Corinth, in these multi-ethnic churches where when they receive letters from the apostles, from the apostle Paul in the New Testament, in each one of them he is addressing these matters of ethnic harmony. These churches were churches that brought together diverse ethnicities. And this was not their idea. The disciples were simply following the instructions that Jesus gave them to make disciples of all nations and ethnicities. It is striking that the leaders of the early church did not say that Gentiles should become Jews or that Jews should become Gentiles. They didn't say that it's fine for, you know, there, there could have been an easier way just for Jews and Gentiles to build separate churches that catered to their distinct ethnic, cultural, and dietary preferences. You could say that would be a whole lot easier, but th that would stand against the very spirit of the gospel. That would stand against the very reason Christ came into the world. David Stevens, in his excellent book, God's New Humanity, a biblical theology of multi-ethnicity for the church, says this. This is David Stevens. Just as many local churches today are segregated by ethnicity, culture, or preferred styles of worship, the apostles could have proposed a programmed segregation in the early churches as a means of relieving the tension. Instead, the apostles were extremely careful not to let this happen. 
They used great care to make sure that that doesn't happen. And why? Because the early church saw how the gospel unites us, not around culture, not around ethnicity, not around race, but around Christ. The gospel unites us in Christ. The gospel creates one new man. The gospel tears down every barrier. The gospel compels us to take Take up the challenge to be sensitive to cultural differences and to pursue Christ-exalting unity in diversity in the church. That's the fruit of the gospel according to the book of Acts. And so Daryl Bach in his commentary on Acts says this, God brings various ethnic groups into one in Christ. This message is important in Acts. Yes, it is. It is a major theme of the book of Acts that God brings various ethnic groups into one in Christ. Bach says Jesus brings reconciliation not only with God, but also between people. The new community will be diverse in makeup, equal in status, and called to reflect peace with one another. And friends, that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. Scripture does not allow us to postpone visible manifestations of ethnic unity and diversity to the not yet of the consummated kingdom. Oh, it's true, it's coming gloriously and perfectly when we gather around the throne of the Lamb, But you see in the book of Acts that that kingdom is broken into this world. And it makes a difference in our churches today. Daniel Hayes says, The gospel demands that we carry compassion and the message of Christ across ethnic lines. The New Testament demands active unity in the church. A unity that explicitly joins differing ethnic groups together. Why? Because of their common identity in Christ. Friends, I cannot emphasize enough, and if you find yourself wrestling with these things, I exhort you, study the scriptures. Begin with the book of Acts. Study the book of Acts. This is, this is a dominant New Testament theme. Multi-ethnic inclusion. Hospitality and love across ethnic lines. The pursuit of ethnic harmony in Christ. The barrier-breaking power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am only skimming the surface of the biblical teaching. And I'm limiting myself to the book of Acts here today. But the implications of this, when you see it, when you, when you step out of the cultural air, and all of the mistakes that are made on all sides of the debates in which so many have lost their minds. And when you take in the air of Scripture, and when you formulate a worldview and and a biblical theology of ethnicity and ethnic harmony, not according to the ways that unbelievers think, not according to this world, but according to the Word of God, then it changes your outlook. And it makes all the difference. And so I appeal to you, take in the scriptures, study the scriptures. This is is what we have sought to do as a church from the beginning in this area. Since the mid-80s, from the beginning of Covenant Fellowship, we have carried a biblically informed passion for ethnic harmony in the church. And And I want to encourage, if you don't know where to start, we'll certainly read through the book of Acts. Uh, There's also 
books that we want to recommend. Uh, our pastors recommend two books in particular that I want to give you as a starting point. One is John Piper's book, Bloodlines, Race, Cross, and the Christian, an excellent treatment of this topic. And a second book is Shylin's outstanding book, The New Reformation, Finding Hope in the Fight for Ethnic Unity. If you find yourself, even as I'm preaching a sermon like this and you're wrestling, you're wondering, how does it fit in with this? What does it mean about this? I'm encouraged that you think that way. Be a Berean. Study the scriptures for yourself. See if what is taught is in line with scriptures. Pick up this subject and read according to the scriptures. And these two resources, there are others, but this is a good entry point, will be useful to that end. There are a number of things that we do to equip the church to faithfully engage this area as believers. We have, we have an ethnic harmony ministry that's led by Jared Torrance and Andy Farmer with recommended resources, with uh, small group book studies with meetings. And here's something that I'll say as well. We don't limit ethnic harmony to the black and white issue, but we do place an emphasis there given the unique history in America, given the involvement of Christians and churches in those sins, in the name of Christ, and given the ongoing tensions and separations that exist throughout our nation. We agree with uh, the Together for the Gospel affirmation. It's affirmation number 17. This is from, from 2006. This was a statement that was first signed by um, many good brothers, including uh, Mark Dever and Lig Duncan and C.J. Mahaney and many others. It says this, we affirm that God calls his people to display his glory in the reconciliation of the nations within the church. And that God's pleasure in this reconciliation is evident in the gathering of believers of every tongue and tribe and people and nation. We acknowledge that the staggering magnitude of injustice against African Americans in the name of the gospel presents a special opportunity for displaying the repentance, forgiveness, and restoration promised in the gospel. We further affirm that evangelical Christianity in America bears a unique responsibility to demonstrate this reconciliation with our African-American brothers and sisters. So we have, brothers and sisters, a special opportunity, we have a unique responsibility, and I thank God that we, every one of us in the church, have an opportunity to be a part of this call. That each one of us has some responsibility to, to champion the cause of ethnic harmony in the church for the glory of Christ. God has done a glorious work among us as a church, and he continues to work among us in a way that we present something distinct, something glorious, something countercultural that bears testimony to the power and the glory of the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our text, after, in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascends, the apostles are there looking into the skies. And two men who appear to be angels stand by them and remind them that Christ will return. And so the whole mission of the church takes place in anticipation, 
Knowing that this world is broken, knowing that this world is fallen and looking forward to the day of Christ's return. And when he comes again, we know the bride of Christ will be united. Ethnic hatred and ethnic pride will be no more. Partiality and segregation will be no more. And people of all ethnicities from every nation will gather together in that great multitude, praising the lamb who was slain. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language, from every people and nation. The great barrier-breaking Savior will be victorious. And we will worship him forever when he returns. I'd like to invite you to stand with me. We're going to have a prayer of response that several pastors lead us in. And so JT and Jim and Doug, you guys can come forward. It is fitting to respond to this topic with prayer. It will be your your pastors who are voicing prayers. But let us together with one heart, with one mind, join that the prayers of all of the saints might ascend to the throne of grace. Let's pray with them in our hearts, agreeing with them in prayer, asking the Spirit of God to continue to move in us, to continue to move through us. God's Spirit is with us now. And the Lord himself is eager to hear and to answer our prayers. And so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good. And you are God. We know that with you and in you is all wisdom. And that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of you. And insight comes from knowledge of the Holy One. So Lord, help us to fear you. Lord, help us to know you. Lord, we live in a world that is confused. We live in a world that is angry and one that is raging and has no understanding of truth yet claims to know truth. Lord, in them there is no consistent bearings for morality because they have forsaken your law. Would you protect us from their ways? Lord, help us to be a people who look at your word and see your heart for the nations and see your gospel of reconciliation and redemption and hope and are so transformed by your word alone that our continued desire for unity is gospel driven and guided by scripture. Lord, we want growth in harmony. We want growth and harmony in our church for your glory. Lord, we desire to be a diverse church that worships the triune God above all else. Protect us. Let us not be swayed and controlled by the culture. Christ, you have called us to be one, that we would be unified, that we would have a singular focus on the glorious gospel and the glory of your name 
So let us be a church whose main desires are to glorify your name. And Lord, let us have discernment and understanding that protects us from the falsehood that your gospel has no bearings or effect on the way we think about race and ethnicity. Lord, drive the divisive, angry, and hateful ways of the culture far from our hearts. Would you allow us to boldly search your word and discern what is holy and what is good? Father, do not let the political pundits rob you from a facet of your glory. You are glorified in a multitude of people who are so different, all coming together and glorifying you because your gospel is that powerful. Lord, your gospel supersedes all of our differences. Your gospel does the impossible work of making sinners like us holy and making us brothers and sisters. You have given us the unity in the spirit of the bond of peace. Political allegiances cast aside, cultural differences and awkwardness and discomfort laid aside. Lord, give us knowledge and discernment to know that we are kingdom citizens and we belong to the glorious and majestic kingdom of God. Father, our allegiance and our hearts are given to you. Protect us from the nonsense swirling around in the culture and allow your holy and authoritative word that is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Equip us for every good work so that the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, would receive honor and eternal dominion. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be unified. Lord, we live in a culture that wants us to be divided. It is so easy for us to, to hate, to be against, to tear down, to be divided, to slander, to judge. Lord, our hearts need your grace so that we can live unified so that we can be more about not what we're against, but what we're for. Lord, this world is tearing itself apart. And we pray that you would help us to be a force of reconciliation, a force that doesn't tear apart, but that binds together. Lord, we pray that your love for this world, for the broken, for the hurting, for different races and ethnicities and backgrounds, that it would flow through us to this world. God, help us to be a people that demonstrate forgiveness. God, give us your heart of forgiveness Help us to look up and to see you, the one who has forgiven us, 
Give us clear sight of that forgiveness that we might extend forgiveness to one another. We pray, God, Spirit of God, make us a forgiving people. Lord, it is indeed a great commission that you've given us. And we pray now that you would empower us to go into all the world, to preach your gospel, to make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. Lord, we pray that you would empower us in our own Judea. We pray that you would empower us in our own Samaria. And we pray that you would empower us even to the uttermost parts of the earth where the name of Christ has not yet been named. Father, we confess that it's easy for us to become insulated. To, it's easy for us to become distracted from this mission. It can be hard for us to relate to people who are outside of our normal circles, outside of our normal way of life. But we remember that we were once outsiders. Lord, a few of us are descendants of Abraham. We were alienated from Christ, strangers to the covenants of promise until you commissioned the good news of the gospel to come to us. And now we who were once far off have been brought near. We who were once strangers and aliens are now fellow citizens and members together of the household of God. Lord, give us a love for those who are yet on the outside, a love that overcomes every obstacle, every barrier, every dividing wall, so that they too might be brought in and become members with us, brothers and sisters with us in the household of God. And Lord, we ask for this today in anticipation of that day when we will stand before the throne of God as part of a multitude that no one could number from every nation, every tribe and people and language, worshiping God with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Lord, we pray all of these things, not for the glory of peoples and nations and ethnicities, but for the glory of your great name as an eternal declaration of the height and depth and breadth of your love for all who you've created in your image. And we pray now as we will pray with that multitude for all eternity that all blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.